From the Library of Maria Menounos, this is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hey, we're back with Book Circle Online. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here with Kareen McCandless, whose brother is Chris McCandless from the book Into the Wild. Her new book is called The Wild Truth, and it just hit the bestsellers list. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's very exciting. I know that you explain in the book why you wanted to tell this part of the story of Chris and yours, but can you tell us why? Well, it took 20 years. Sure. Um, but th- there's many reasons. Um one of which is that Chris's story is a powerful example of the devastating effects that domestic violence can have on children and families. Sure. Also because uh, for the past several years, I've been working with students into the wild is required reading at about 3,000 high schools and colleges across the United States. I did not know that. Yeah. And I've seen in working with students how incredibly powerful it is for people to have the rest of the story. You know, after John's book, um, and John did an amazing job with Into the Wild, and he shared a beautiful and very honest perspective of Chris that, frankly, I couldn't have. I mean, John related to Chris as a young male, okay, you know, as a an extremist that took great risks. And John's also written um, about his own charged relationship with his father, and there's a difference of relationships between fathers and sons and, and daughters and fathers. So, you know, I'm really able to show that personal insight and give the audience uh, a deeper understanding of Chris far beyond that iconic legend that he's become from the Into the Wild book and film. And, you know, Chris taught me the greatest inspiration comes from truth. And so for people to have the rest of the story and and the answers to all those lingering why questions, I really think it helps them even learn more from him. Yeah. I mean, on the cover, you had the quote that... um walking into the wild was like the sanest thing he could have done. Mm-hmm. And I I wondered like, was that just to like sell books? But like, I, I get it now. Yeah. Nothing in here is just to sell books. No, of course. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's like a, that's an extreme statement, but like right. after reading it, like it was, um, I don't want this to be like insensitive, but it was like exhausting reading about your parents. And I cannot imagine like having to like grow up with that. Yeah. You know, we didn't have the worst childhood. I mean, the mere fact that we were born in the United States means that we yeah. didn't have the most difficult childhood yeah. in the world. Oh, and, yeah. and not to cut you off, but you made the really clear distinction that your parents were abusive, but they were not only abusive. Right. Yes, exactly. And thank you for that. Um, oh, of course. Yeah. I, you know, this book is in no way written to villainize my parents. It's to humanize them. I mean, just as people can learn more from Chris when he is not just this iconic figure that they've come to know, which he deserves every bit of that, but he was remarkable. Um, But, you know, people can't learn from villains. They can learn from humans. And my parents made some mistakes. Uh, You know, I can say, honestly, I've waited 20 years for two particular people to learn the very important lessons that I believe are in this book. And when I saw that that was just not going to happen... And as I've been working with students and the reactions from them, their teachers, professors, their parents, you know, I've been so fortunate to witness these incredibly powerful and uplifting, just these responses from people that I've been able to offer a new perspective to. And that makes Chris's life and the lessons from his life and his death, frankly, that much more powerful. And with the students especially, it becomes not just an assignment for them, it becomes a lesson when they have that personal insight and they have the answers to those questions. It becomes a lesson that they take outside of the classrooms with them. And these are the 
these are the husbands and wives and the mothers and fathers of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the people that are going to be molding our country and our future and our communities. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of lessons in this book, and I think it'll help people to read them as much as it helped me to write them down. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, beyond the obvious connection to Chris mm-hmm. and Icon, it's like definitely like a story worth telling. Mm-hmm. I got that. Um, you, throughout the book, you were talking about why people are so fascinated with Chris. Um, do you have you come to like figure out an answer to why you think that? I mean, is? the short answer is that Chris's story makes people think. Oh. It just it makes people think. It, it makes them really analyze the difference between selfishness and self awareness. You know, some people um, view Chris's actions as selfish, but they were absolutely so far from that. I mean, he was an incredibly self aware person. He knew exactly what he needed to do and where he needed to go and do that. Um, nature was an absolute draw for him. He loved nature ever since we were little. And that's a great gift that our parents introduced us to. They introduced us to nature. Um, but he wasn't just pulled by his love of nature to go through everything that he was going through internally um, but he was also pushed. And I think it's important that people understand how much Chris was hurting when he left to explain why he left the way he did. It's one thing to go off on extreme adventures. It's another thing to do that and cut off all contact with your family, right. reinvent your identity. It's two different things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like you said, like he buried his trail that a private messer couldn't find him. Like that's Correct. somebody who's like, you know, doesn't want to be found. Yeah, he did not want to be found. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder, too, if, like, that's part of, like, the draw to a story. Like, what he accomplished was incredible, but, like, mm-hmm. the mystique mm-hmm. of, like, how could somebody do that? Yeah, he, he didn't want to be found because he wanted to be able to go through this all on his own. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, I don't speak for Chris. I, I'm very careful in this book, and I work very hard to make sure the reader understands that I am giving them an insight into Chris from my own perspective because I feel that I knew him better than anyone else. Yeah. And he and I talked about that, that we understood each other and all that haunted us more than anyone else ever could. And, um, you know, Chris speaks for himself in this book. I have excerpts of letters that he wrote to me before he, when he graduated college and took off on yeah. this journey. And he had been on all kinds of adventures and journeys even during high school and after high school, during every college break. So he had a lot of experience in doing this kind of thing. Um, not enough. And I always want people to learn as much from Chris's mistakes as they can from his successes. Right. And I do that with myself in this book. I mean, you can't write a book with truth in the title without ruffling a few feathers or upsetting a few people. Um, and you also can't do it without some self-deprecation. I mean, I can't help other people learn from mistakes I've witnessed other people doing without putting my own right out there, too. Of course. Um, and I learned a lot of lessons from Chris, and I learned a lot of, learned a lot of lessons from my childhood. And, yeah. And still I'm learning. And most importantly, from my children. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And you were clear that he he went out to, like, Alaska to stay for a while, but also part of the plan was to come back. Yes. Well, Chris's intention, I can tell from reading his journal, was yeah. to make it out living off the land for 100 days. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, he almost pulled it off. He was he he died, I believe, on the hundred and thirteenth day. Wow! And I didn't realize he was there from April to August, right? Yes, that's pretty. Like, that's amazingly impressive. It is with with the amount of little experience. Something I'll say yeah. is, and not speaking for other people, but I've seen people like John Krakauer and friends of his that are these outdoor extremists. They have this respect for Chris, at the same time that they can acknowledge his great mistakes because they were young. 
and male, and they remember the things that they did. And I've heard them talk, and John's even written about how he remembers coming through certain situations that he, things that he went off and chose to do and, and barely making it out alive. And I think that's, you know, part of the point when you're of that age and your boldness sort of blinds you. Yeah. Um, and then as you get older and you have more experience and more wisdom, you look back at some of those things and think, wow, you know, I'm lucky I made it out of that. Um, it, Chris did not get the opportunity to live into his adulthood and write his own stories about those adventures. Right. Um, was unfortunately. that his intention afterward? Do you think he wanted to write? Well, Chris was a great writer. He really was. And um, people ask me all the time what I think Chris would be doing now if he had lived. And my answer is always the same. I always say that he'd be a lot like John Krakauer. And it always makes John Krakauer blush because <laughs> Chris and John are of the same um, type of personality that don't understand how remarkable they are. Um, and But I think he would have been... Uh, always an outdoor person, always an extremist in, in different forms. I think that Chris very well might have been a teacher, a writer, and very possibly one of these journalists that you see getting um, arrested or abducted in different parts of the world as they shed light on human rights atrocities. I mean, sure. that's the kind of thing. And Chris would have made a name for himself with no intention whatsoever. You know, he would just want to be doing things to, to, um, open people's eyes sure you know and make them think and and he has uh, he continues to do that every day yeah i mean is it weird that such a private person is now like oh known worldwide you know it is i get asked that a lot too and it's a legitimate question you know how would chris being someone of such a private persona feel about this and yeah. um you know, John Krakauer is a brilliant writer, and I joke John, say, well, this is all your fault, you know. Um, and I think that Chris, first and foremost, wouldn't understand what all the fuss is about. You know, I don't, he would not understand, didn't understand why everyone doesn't choose to live this way. So, again, not speaking for him, but that's the yeah. kind of things that I Similar know about him. initial reaction as well. Like, oh, why sure. are people so interested? Yeah, why are people so interested in this story? And, yeah. you know, why does this guy, John Krakauer, think there's enough information to write a book about? Who's going to buy this book? Yeah. You know, well, little, and, little did I know. <laughs> and you kept writing about, like, the magnetism that he had for people that he met. And it's kind of amazing that that extended to people he did not know. You know, time was not a factor in the effect that Chris had on people. They could have picked him up as a hitchhiker and had him in the car for a couple hours. And yeah. he made an indelible impression on them. Um, some people who spent three days with him, um, he, through no intention, just made these incredible effects on their life um, still to this day. Was and, that like Tracy, one of those people? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Was romantic like connection something that he was interested in during this time? You know, I don't. I, I just think of like young men. I'm sorry, I don't. You're I don't thinking mean, like, that's young, young men, men, like and how unusual it is to have women be, reckless. be very interested. Yeah, or like you know wanting to be like an adventure, such a man thing, but also like at 21 and two. I don't know. Yeah, but Chris had an incredible willpower and discipline, and Chris was going to go to Alaska, and nothing yeah. was going to stop Chris from going to Alaska. And he would not, you know, there's a couple layers to that sure. answer. One, Chris really didn't trust relationships so much. Um, oh. People, you know, there's that happiness only real when shared that he wrote in his book. Right. And I write in my book about how when you turn the next page, it says relationships, those real, those false, which I found both hopeful and cautionary. Um, yeah. So 
I think that there's a lot that can be told from his writings and from his notes and the margins of his books. Um, and there's a lot that I just know from the letters that he wrote to me and the discussions that we had before he left and the childhood that we had together. And, you know, I'm the youngest of eight children and people don't realize that. Um, so I think that there are, uh, many reasons that Chris didn't get too close to people and, um, especially females, he's not going to leave a child behind. He's not going to leave a woman and break her heart because he's going to Alaska. Oh, you know, because he knows either way he's going to leave. He's going to leave. Oh, that's interesting. so. You know, Chris is not going to. He, he he wouldn't have been someone that would want to break a young girl's heart or, yeah. um, or do something that could leave her in a potentially um, devastating situation. Because sure. he was going to go to Alaska. That's what he was going to do. He absolutely intended to walk back out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean that's a fact. It's it's very obvious from from. Um, the things he wrote, the things that he had with him. Um, and I talk about more about that in my book in a larger context. Of, yeah. Of, yeah. Going back to you being um, the youngest of eight, mm-hmm. your like family life was so different with like the two families um, that your father didn't hide. Um, I know that. Well, was, he hid part of he? it. Well, this is, it's, this is why it took about three chapters in the book to yeah. really lay this out. And, and, 20 years to unravel. I mean, yeah. um, I'm the youngest of eight. We knew our brothers and sisters growing up. Um, I'll refer to my parents, mine and Chris's parents as Walt and Billy, not to be impersonal, but to try to keep the confusion sure. factor out of that because our six other siblings, same father, but their mother is Marsha. Right. So um, Walt and Marsha were married when Billy and Walt met. Yes. So Billy... Chris's and my mother was his mistress. Um, and the, out of the eight children, the last four, our ages are all intermixed. And that's what surprised me. I, I guess my question is that that's so, um, for you, I guess growing up, that must have been, I don't, I don't want to imply, but normal almost like that's what the only, well, we didn't know anything knew. different, but right. when you're little, you don't know what it means that you have one brother that's Marcia's son right. that's three months older than your brother, Chris, who's he, a different mother. Yeah. Different mother. You don't know that that means his wife and his mistress were pregnant at the right. same time because you didn't know that your mom was his mistress. So my question is, when did you realize that that's not how like most families were? I think as we grew up and started asking the big questions to our older brothers and sisters and, uh-huh. but there's two parts of that. I mean, whereas we knew plenty of people that had divorced parents and stepbrothers and sisters. That wasn't unusual. It's when you get to an age where you start understanding what it means that your ages are so close. And then um, you start to ask these questions. And unfortunately, you know, the violence on top of that and, you know, domestic violence comes in many forms. You have physical, physical violence, of course, but you also have mental, you know, uh, emotional, Chris called it emotional trauma. So you have psychological abuse. And I would say that, you know, our mother, Billy, was Walt's primary target. And it did spill over to us at different times in our childhood. Um, but she even, you know, she became his accomplice later on in life. She was his primary victim, but then became his accomplice because she didn't get herself and her children out of the situation. Um, and that it was a very manipulative situation when we were little and we would be witnesses to this violence every day. We were told that it was our fault. Um, and I write about that in the book and give a little more specific scene of right. how that happened. But Chris took that responsibility onto his shoulders. He was three years older than me and he felt that it was, he was told that he was to blame for this. 
And that's a lot of pressure to put on the shoulders of a little boy. And then when you get older and you start understanding by visiting other households and you go through sex education class and you get the whole thing with the different ages and all of that, and you start to ask the questions and you're asking, how is this my fault? But, you know, those accusations, that condemnation is not, that blame is not rescinded. It's just ignored. And then later on in your life, it's denied. And all of us tried in so many different times to maintain a relationship with Walt and Billy and to talk about these things. You know, um, people make mistakes and that's okay. But I was asked by a student at Stevenson University the other day, and he was asking about my relationship with Walt and Billy. And he said, what is your line between forgiving and not forgiving? And I'm one for long-winded answers, as you can tell. But the answer came out <laughs> immediately. The answer came out immediately to me, and it was honesty. That's it. I mean, it's all about truth. And Chris talked about that all the time. There was nothing more important to Chris than truth. And I believe wholeheartedly that that stemmed from our childhood because, you know, if our parents had been able to just be honest about how they met and why there were these dual families and you know my father he was incredibly violent and abusive to his wife Marcia um and he didn't hide his mistress from Marcia whereas he did hide his relationship with his wife from my mom at the beginning i mean my mom was an absolute victim of his manipulation um but you know chris was born 3 years later and we knew well by then that we could be of an age to understand this that it doesn't take 3 years to learn that Walt is a liar and a manipulator and um, with all due respect and I'm not trying to villainize my parents I'm just trying to teach you Mm -hmm. know from these lessons and um, it's just honesty if they were able at some point in time in life to just say we're sorry for the mistakes that we made but what we get is we don't know what you're talking about and it's tough to find closure in that Um, Mm -hmm. yeah so do you know if they're, what the reaction is to the book? Well, I did make sure that they had a copy of the book before it was released, because with all due respect, I felt that they should have the opportunity to respond to it before they're getting, you know, bombarded by media. Um, and their reaction, they they let it, released a blanket statement that, um, I don't have it committed to memory, but it, I know that it says that my writing is fictionalized, and that what I'm saying in this book has absolutely nothing to do with Chris's character um, or why he made the decisions he made. Yeah. Um, that it was all about his dreams, his love of nature. Um, it was much more than that. Chris wrote to me himself in his letters that it was much more than that. And we talked about that before he left um, Atlanta. Sure. And I mean, going uh, along with like what they were saying, like, we don't know what you're talking about. Um, I thought it was so interesting that they would allow a reporter into their lives to, like, research when, like, they're not, like, afraid of, like, what he might dig up, you know? Or not even have to dig. Well, some people, especially someone that has a very megalomaniac kind of personality, thinks that they can control all things. And it took me 20 years to come out with this truth. And really, I did a disservice to my brother, to my 
siblings. I did a disservice to John by telling him this information, you know, most of it. There's some things that I didn't even share with him, but almost all of it. He definitely understood that there was violence in the household and what was going on, but I wouldn't let him write it. Yeah. And when I went into researching and and doing a lot of research on this book, because I write about things that happened before I was born or when I was very young. So I had to make sure that I was very accurate in my retelling of those parts of the story. And, um, Man, I realized what a horrible chore and awful thing I did to John Krakauer by not letting him write this down. Yeah. But um, for the people at home, you told him uh, much of the real story and said, and I let him read Chris's it. letters. So Chris's right. letters spoke for themselves. Of course, but I wouldn't allow him to include that in his book. Yeah, I just you know I, I wanted my parents to have the opportunity to learn from this, and I didn't think very many people were going to read into the wild. You know, who knew? Yeah, I mean, it certainly surprised John. It surprised all of us. Did he and challenge you about revealing more than you wanted to? He did to? not. Really? Absolutely not. And think think about how much, with these two decades that have passed, and some people are aware that have followed the story, and a lot of people have been critical of John, of yeah. um, how he kind of turned Chris into this hero. And John's just very open about his own feelings, but he he really, I believe, writes in a way that people can be in whatever camp they want to be in. I mean, they can admire or admonish Chris for his actions. They can think he's brilliant or an idiot. And John writes about that in his in his um, author's note at the beginning of the book. You know, he says, he, he brings his own life and some of his own examples of his adventures into the story to kind of shed light on why he gets this kid, yeah. you know? And... um I think that's ex- extremely important. It allows John to show that side of Chris, like I was saying before, that I really couldn't share. Um, and, and my book is a, it doesn't take anything away from Into the Wild. It just adds to it. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel that I also did a disservice to my parents. I really did because, you know, and I own responsibility for that. If I had been willing to be more open about this and more vocal about it back then, um, Perhaps it would have not allowed them to fill in those blanks with their history of manipulating the truth and allowing people to view Chris too often in ways that he was cruel to his parents, you know, and he left and was so selfish and all these things that he did that just absolutely aren't fair to Chris. Um, You know, I have two daughters and I certainly believe that Walt and Billy deserve empathy. They lost their son. And I cannot imagine losing my children. More so, though, I can't imagine ever making calculated decisions again and again to make my children feel that the only way they can have peace and happiness in their life is to eliminate me from it. Mm -hmm. So becoming a mother was a huge part of, of realizing that I needed to write this book. I mean, it got to a point where I couldn't not do it. And I think the the dichotomy you're describing was like so clear. Um, after Chris's funeral, you're planning a wedding. You're talking the truth to John Krakauer. You're laughing through mom for the first time. You're also mourning your brother. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, how does one navigate that? Like, is that something that like you can master? You know? Well, it was a hell of a roller roller coaster ride emotionally. Um, you know, it's interesting. I. A couple of things I realized, I tried to navigate without being open about this truth. And I've realized that it's not possible. Mm-hmm. And I also am someone who doesn't choose to live in the past. And I felt for so long that that meant I couldn't revisit it. And in the first oh. chapter, the prologue of the book, 
you see how I go back to our childhood home after 23 years of not being able to go there. And that really began this process that turned this cathartic journaling exercise into a book. Um, yeah, so I really found my voice in writing this book, mm-hmm. and I'm very confident that it will help a lot of other people find their voice. And whether they're going through whatever tough circumstances they're dealing with, and um, whether it's domestic violence or, you know, I want this book to give people hope. I want it to empower people. I want them to know that everything that happens in life, good and bad, happens for a reason. And Chris used to talk to me about that all the time. Everything's energy. And you can use that energy to launch yourself in a positive direction. You know, you're in control of how these things affect you. So, yeah, yeah I learned that from him, definitely. Was he as religious as you are? Chris had a strong faith. I don't know if I'd call myself religious. Oh, really? I, I, I have a very strong faith. Um, and Chris did as well. You know, Chris died at peace. He was not happy to be dying in any any form. He was devastated to be losing his life. But... He was at peace with the choices that he had made. And this goes right back to his philosophy on truth being above all else. He accepted responsibility for the mistakes he made that put himself in the situation where he was losing his life. Mm -hmm. He didn't blame that on anyone else. Just like I say, I don't blame Walt and Billy for his death. I hold them accountable for his disappearance, for the way he left. It's two different things. Chris didn't hold anyone accountable for his death except for himself, the choices that he had made and why he was there. In the end... You know, there's that famous picture of Chris holding up his goodbye note and waving and smiling at the camera. And when I talk to students, I have to explain to them, this was before the day and age. These are the same students that say, weren't you just pissed that he didn't send you a text message or an email? And they don't realize, like, they think I have to look like I'm 105 (laughs) to hold up a phone and say, we didn't have these back then, you know. But in that same regard, I'm reminding them that all these pictures that they've seen of Chris on his journey, on his travels, in Alaska, at the bus, as he's dying. These are pictures Chris never saw. He never saw these images of himself. That emotion that you see coming through him is just pure emotion because he didn't look at the picture and go, oh, that's not quite right. Let me retake that. Yeah, let me take four more. So he's dying. His face is skeletal. He's emaciated. Yeah. Yet he's got this beautiful smile. I mean, I I re... I, I. quote John, John's book at the end, because I couldn't write it better than John Krakauer did. You know, Chris was at peace. Serene is a monk gone to God. And I believe from my knowledge of Chris and the things that he and I shared together, that he knew it wasn't the end for him. Um, and that brings me peace. I mean, I have such a hard time. It's, it's that note that he held, that he held up. That's actually not the most difficult thing of of what he left behind for me to read the SOS note on the side of the bus, um, and I have that note in the book too. But where it says, um, "In the name of God, please remain to save me." And he was out picking berries. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. This is no joke. That's the hardest thing for me to read because Chris was always so strong. He was my protector. I never thought Chris would get himself in a situation that he couldn't handle. I never for a moment, when Chris left without communication, didn't bother me. I understood it. I got it. I knew what he, he was doing what he needed to do. And I knew he'd be on my front porch one day when I came home from work. And is that how you were okay with it? Because he was your protector Cause, mm-hmm. because you always knew he would come back. That was the plan. Yeah, I never thought Chris wouldn't be in my life. And I feel he's still in my life, but selfishly, I wish he was here in a different way. He should be sitting here talking to you about his adventures. Not that he would, <laughs> but um, I understand. Yeah. yeah, I guess I, 
I uh, misconstrued. I mean, I guess you would you say you're spiritual? I guess I'm just like thinking like I don't mind being called religious. Oh no, yeah, I don't know. I I can't really quote much of the Bible, so I don't know if I'm allowed to be. Yeah, I just um, I have a strong faith in in what your purpose in life is, and that it doesn't end with this body. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Did losing Chris like change your relationship with your faith? That's a very good question, Jeffrey. Um, you know, at first, and I write about it in the book, when I learned that Chris had died, I was pretty upset. Of and course. I didn't understand why God would do that. Um, so I struggled with that a little bit. But the first place I went after learning of his death was church. Um, you know, I think that you can't, in my personal experience, you can't go through certain experiences in your life even falling in love, when you have felt that incredible power, you just know that there's so much more outside of yourself to me and having children. I mean, what a miracle that is. You know, I mean, these, us, we're created from these just, it's, it's, a, it's mind blowing. You know, I mean, sure, science can explain all these things, but there's so much more science can't explain. Yeah. Um, so, and I've had a lot of experience after Chris's death, and I write about a couple of those in the book. And um, it's some of the things that that bring me peace. And honestly, you know, I really stayed very private about all of this. I, I consulted with John when he was writing Into the Wild. I consulted with Sean on the film and um, worked as a script con- a script writer with along with him with the narrative of the film and Sharon Olds and Jenna Malone as well. Um, but outside of that, I really wasn't findable. I wasn't on social media. Um, you know, I have a presence out there now, but I didn't before. And I only opened up to that several years ago when my youngest daughter, Christiana, who's named after Chris, um, was able to start a full day school program. She's a special needs child. And when she was able to be in school a full day, I started accepting the invitations that I constantly got from schools that taught into the wild and wanted that other perspective. And wanted to shed more light on Chris and the person that he was. And they wanted their students to learn as much from him as possible. And back to the beginning of our conversation, when I started doing that, and I saw that incredible impact that the rest of his story had on these very important people, these young people, and their parents, and their teachers, and everyone, um, I just realized that I had something very important to share. And I got to a point in my life where I was ready to share it with as many people as possible. Yeah. Do you regret that the movie couldn't have shown some part of this story? I, I ask because, like, something about movies, like, cements facts in, like, the public's mind, be it, like, lies or truth, you know? Yeah, if it's on, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like, I yeah. just wonder, like, if you wish, like, some of the, like, the reasoning and, like, the childhood could have Well, there's been a little in bit there. in there. I mean, you know, Sh- at it. Yeah. Sean did an excellent job, and his film was very accurate. Um, it was much like John's book. It's extremely yeah. accurate with what's... There, I think one of the most accurate adaptations I've like seen of books to movies. Mm -hmm. Well, not just the book, but uh, the life. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and there is a scene in the film that I wrote with Sean that um, shows a violent scene in the household. And to me, it's I remember when um, John Krakauer saw it for the first time, and he was blown away. And me, I watched that scene, and it's because compared to everyday life it just seems like it's nothing but I think it sends a message and I don't know that many people catch that there's a lot of things people don't catch people have read John's book and seen Sean's film yet when I stand before them and say 
to a group of a thousand students in a room, how many of you understand that I'm the youngest of eight children? There's like three or four kids that raise their hand, you know, which means mm-hmm. there's maybe a dozen that, that got that from that. I mean, um, and, and that's from into the wild, not your book. That's from into the, yeah, okay. yeah. My okay. book really oh, your goes. your book just came out. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I thought it was very clear. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It was very clear in my book. But, you know, I think John and Sean also um, felt that that was my story to tell when it was time to tell it. Um, and I don't want to speak for them, but just in the conversations that course. I had with them. Um, and, you know, I did want more of it in the movie. I was ready then to tell more. Um, and Sean and I talked about that, and I do write about that in the book. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's such an in, it's such a web that was woven. And... There is so much to that story to understand, to get it right. And whereas I was hoping for one more scene to really lay that all out there and had written another scene that I was hoping might get in there. You know, Sean said to me, um, then the movie becomes about your parents. Right. And it's not about this beautiful experience of Chris's life. Now, I feel that I have shown even more beauty of what Chris's life was and what he went through and where he came from and what he managed to do. Yeah. Um, and I love that you got to add like new pictures to his narrative. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it's like a child. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just giving another perspective. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, in the end I decided that it was certainly Sean Penn's call and he knows a little bit more about making movies than I do. Um, and he did a beautiful job. Yeah. Um, but I guess everything in due time and, um, it was just time to tell the rest of the story. Yeah. I mean, it was one of my favorite for years. It was the only movie, movie I owned for like 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. Um, one of the things that you wrote Sean Penn said to you was that, like your story was so wild it needed its own book or movie or both. Yeah, and he said that kind of off the cuff. Yeah, like, you know, we have but... the book now. Is like a movie part of the plan? None, none of this is part of the plan. Okay. I mean, this was a journaling There's ex- no plan. <laughs> this is, no, there's no plan. You know, Chris used to say that the greatest adventures come from not really having a plan. You know, I don't know where this is going to go. Yeah. Um, I, I worked on this book for three years. Do I want to sell books? Of course I do, you know, because yeah. I spent three years of my and life. And it's already selling. And I have a publisher and they you know, yeah. have an obligation to sell some books. But, um, yeah, that's with every book that sells, it's just me having this wonderful feeling that people are getting it and getting the rest of the message and learning those empower- those very powerful and important lessons. So, um yeah, I mean, p- people have asked me that a lot. I've heard rumors about some things, but I, I'm not thinking that far ahead. Sure. I mean, it's um, it's part of the plan is to not really have a plan. And when you, I think, when you do that with all those long-term goals decided, and I, I don't yeah. have that because I don't know that you can do it purely in that way. Yeah. You just have to go for it. And yeah, a lot, a lot of people have said, why didn't you just wait until your parents had passed away before writing this book? And when I felt that, again, that I couldn't not do it, to me, it just seems, one, sinister yeah. to wait that out, especially when I feel, honestly, that I've done such a disservice to so many people by not having this out there. But even more so, it's kind of a cop-out to wait until you can't be lashed back at. I mean, well, if it's your truth and you feel it's important, then you got to get out there with it when you're ready and once you feel that you have to. Um I think it loses a little of its um, message of truth when you have to, you know, 
when you know it's time and you still hold it back. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you. I know you say you have no plan, but what is next for you? <laughs> Anything uh, coming up? San Francisco and Seattle and great. wherever they tell me. I, yeah. And um, my plan is to, my plan is to, um, work very hard, um, so that I don't have to work very long. And that is because I have two daughters that I want to get home to. Right. And they are the most important thing of my life. And, um, uh, I, I definitely want to work with students. Um, my book is being considered, um, by colleges right now, um, to be worked into curriculum and also FYE, freshman year experience programs. Yeah. And I actually have a colleague, um, who was a, a professor at Virginia Wesleyan College who I've worked with for years. And we've actually been adapting the lessons of the wild truth with Into the Wild because even though this book wasn't written yet, of course, it's all in yeah. me. So we've been working with students with and seeing just amazing results and how powerful those lessons are. So, so, you know, long term, I want to work with students, um, consistently. That's, that's my goal. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. All right, guys, we will see you next week. Until then, you can find all of our content and more at YouTube, iTunes, and our website at bookcircleonline.com. Thanks. Cool. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.